Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Hello, hello, Fem fans. It is so awesome to be back doing my end of year review as I do. This is the third one I've done. Um, I think the first one probably got kicked off by me not having a guest (laughs) near the holidays and said, well, just do like a year in review. But it has turned into one of our most popular episodes. So um, I did it again last year and I'm doing it again today. And so our goal is to review 2022, what happened in women's health innovation around the world. What are some trends we saw? What are some things that we could work on as an industry? Where are our strengths? Um, This year is also a lot of things that happen outside of our industry that's affecting us, uh, both good and bad ways. So we'll tap into that. I'll tell you who I think the top femtech influencers were of 2022, and I'll give you my predictions for 2023. It's actually one of my favorite things because uh, it's almost like a, a quality check on myself. Like, how much am I a thought leader? Is I listen to my predictions that I made last year uh, in that last year's episode, and I see how many of them came true. So we're going to go through those one by one as well. So I do have a list here on my computer. So if you see me poking around here with a the light on my face. (laughs) That's what that is. But here we go. All right. So first, let's kick it off with uh, just discussing uh, Femtech Focus's evolution. So you're going to start to see next year uh, some new branding for us and a new company called Fem Health Insights. So when I started Femtech Focus, it was March of 2020. And uh, at the time, femtech was the word. And I do have some arguments why I think we should start to say fem health in certain circumstances. We'll tap into that in a little bit. But, um, you know, femtech focus was a 501c3 nonprofit structured to support founders that are innovating in women's health and to raise awareness for the need for sex-specific healthcare innovation. And I think we've done an excellent job of that over the last three years. Uh, We've built an incredible community. We've done these two mission points through four main mechanisms. The first is this podcast. Welcome to the show. Uh, Two is our virtual community with over 2,000 founders in there. We have uh, events, and then we have market research. That market research part is really what's spinning out and becoming this new company called Fem Health Insight. Femtech Focus will continue to exist and thrive, and it will continue to do what it does, which is raise awareness for the need for femtech and supporting femtech founders. But, you know, one of the things that we realized is that we actually really need a corporate offering. So businesses are now starting to get interested in femtech. And when I say businesses, I'm talking pharmaceutical companies, big tech government agencies. And so what I needed to do as a founder, because I think um, a lot of times, you know, I'm speaking as the voice of founders, but I am a founder too. And so one of the most important parts of the founder journey is pivoting and growing. And so I'm really excited to grow our business into a new B2B offering via Fem Health Insights. We will have a software platform that is kind of like a Femtech version of PitchBook. This is all of this incredible data we've collected over the last three years and we continue to collect with your collaboration. Um, and we are essentially selling licenses to this software 
don't worry. Uh, if you are a Femtech founder, you will have free access to this platform. One, because it's the right thing to do. You need this data in order to make your pitch deck, in order to figure out if anyone's already working on the idea that you have, in order to find partnerships, collaborators, et cetera. And so I want you to have free access. Um, and then, you know, you will also have the data and the ability to update your profile and make sure that investors, acquirers, partnerships, people are able to accurately and properly find you and appreciate the true market value that you have. Because I think uh, for me, I've said this from day one, data is what's going to get us equality. Um, because just telling sad stories about women's suffering has not done the job of, you know, increasing the number of dollars going into this or innovations. But if we can show the data of the potential market value, the returns, the impact, the economic development that can happen by investing in women's health, then we can get really get people on board. So we'll have the software. We'll also offer consulting services. So if you're listening to this as a private equity firm or as a big tech company or a pharma company, um, a CRO, uh, you know, another consulting firm that's also consulting other people and you need a women's health expert, we are here to, uh, provide that service. So stay tuned for more about Fem Health Insights. Don't worry, Femtech founders, we are still here for you, Femtech Focus. Uh, stay tuned for how that brand is going to evolve. But at the end of the day, my mission is to improve women's health and wellness. And I think that I'm best equipped to do that by supporting founders and connecting them to the right opportunities in the world. And so that's that's my mission. That's what I'm here. That's what I'm doing. Last thing I want to say before I jump into the episode for real is uh, I want to tell you our landscape report is coming out. So we had our big landscape report published in 2021 that really put us on the map as a thought leader, like not just a podcast, right? Like actual thought leaders publishing real data. And so we are publishing that report again. It is coming out in January, about mid-January. So be sure if you are listening to this and you are not subscribed to the Femtech Focus newsletter, please right now go to femtechfocus.org and just put your email in at the bottom of the website. Done. You're subscribed. You will get the the landscape report. The landscape report this year is so awesome. It's uh, based on data from over 1,500 Femtech companies around the world. So really awesome stuff. Alrighty, let's get to the episode. All right, biggest shifts this year. One, Femtech, in my opinion, has really started to become mainstream. I see women's health innovation in the media. Just the other day, we saw uh, menopause, the, new, the next gold rush of healthcare in the New York Times. So we have mainstream media, Financial Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, uh, and also tech news, tech crunch, uh, crunch base, pitch book, CB insights, publishing reports on women's health. I remember when I, you know, three, four years ago, when like one article would come out a month on women's health, everyone and their mothers would forward it to me. Now there's so many that happen that like people are, would be overwhelmed to just uh, forward them all to me. So we are talking about women's health in the media, which is so important because if we, that helps us destigmatize women's health. And that's one of our biggest barriers is the stigmatization, the taboo-ness that has become women's bodies. The more we talk about this, the more we normalize it, the more we know the right words to use to describe menopause, 
When does it happen? Menstrual health, menstrual effluent, you know, breastfeeding. As soon as we start to normalize these things, they become less stigmatized and women are able to talk about their experience more often and make solutions, da 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 da, on and on. So we're, we're seeing it being talked about in mainstream media, tech news, med tech news like Informa. We're seeing commercials on major th- events like uh, Hologic had a breast cancer awareness commercial at the Super Bowl this year. This is mainstream. We had Maud, which is a sexual wellness company featured in Times Square. So all of these things to me is like, oh, we're going mainstream. Awesome. Uh, next is the events that I've noticed are now including a lot more women's health. So I attended Health, H-L-T-H. If you've never heard of it, it's like a five-year-old conference, but it's huge. There's like 15,000 people there this year in Las Vegas. This is only a few weeks ago in November. And they had so many women's health sessions. I, I mean, probably 10 to 15% of the sessions were on women's health. I doubt. I would bet my right breast (laughs) that they never had so many women's health sessions before. So I'm really starting to see even the healthcare industry in the, you know, um, ways that they're including women's health as its own sector. And I love that. And I'm going to talk about that at the end, um, that I think that, you know, there's been a lot of debate around will femtech or fem health or women's health eventually fold back into just health tech or health innovation? And I think, yes, but I honestly, I I see every single day how sex as a variable affects research, affects healthcare, affects our biology. We need to always remember sex as a biological variable when we're doing research or innovation. And so I kind of see women's health in the future becoming like pediatrics. Pediatrics, you know, the, the care of children's health is healthcare, but we understand that the treatment of children has its own requirements, has its own barriers, has its own opportunities. And so the, you know, how you deliver it, how you regulate it, all these things, I see it being the same thing for women's health. So anyways, I digress. Let's keep going. Um, we also see famous people getting involved. Amy Schumer just made a big uh, femtech investment. We have Judy Greer, who is a co-founder of Wild Menopause Supplements. We have Serena Williams, who just launched a venture fund and is prioritizing investments in women's health. So mainstream uh, up next. And by the way, I think I'm just going to keep saying up next, which is not, <laughs> I need to come up with some other link or words, but you know, hang in there with me, y'all. Um Women in society are demanding more. And I think this is going to directly correlate to the number of solutions being created in women's health, the number of conversations we're having, number of investments being made, the commitments from the largest companies in the world taking a stand on it. I think that we are at the start of this tidal wave of women's health. And so what are some ways that women in society are demanding more? We see the protest in Iran for women's rights and the morality of police. Um, you know, we we're seeing people really stand up, not just women in Iran, but men saying this is unacceptable. We cannot repress women like this. Um, we have voting in the United States was heavily influenced this year 
by the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And like I said earlier, um, <laughs> governments, for better or for worse, in terms of women's health, and in this case, it's for worse, the overturning of the right to abortion in the United States, also known as the Dobbs decision, happened this summer, uh, where the Supreme Court reversed a constitutional right for females in the United States of America for access to abortion that no longer is a constitutional right. And so in over half of the states in the United States, abortion is either completely banned or heavily restricted, restricted to the point that it's almost biologically impossible to find out you're pregnant and still have time to get an abortion. So um, horrible, horrible, horrible thing that happened, right? And yet what happened in the fall in our midterm elections, so in the United States, every four years we vote for the president. Every two years we have these midterm elections where senators, um, government, or uh, not government, uh, governors and, you know, Congress people, they're all, they're all up for grabs. They're all, you know, running, hoping to keep their seats. And many of them ran on the platform of, you know, abortion should be banned. And those people did did not win. And the uh, several states like Kansas um, put out, you know, proposals that they wanted to constitutionally within their state ban abortion and people voted against it. And not just any people, like people who are seen as very conservative red Republicans who are historically what they call pro-life. I may argue pro-life is uh, oxymoron because abortion, you know, provides life to the mother. But alas, I, I digress again. Um, so these folks who are historically have been seen as people who are anti-abortion actually voted, no, we cannot make this a constitutional block for women in our state to not be able to access abortion. So what we learned was that women's health actually is one of the biggest influences in politics. That is a huge thing. We could say that all day long, but we actually saw it. We, once again, remember, I love data. We have the data to show that people show up and they take action when women's health is on the line. Very interesting. It's really going to see, uh, be interesting in the, you know, future political campaigns in terms of how much they use this to their advantage or, you know, disadvantage. We'll see. We see um, uh, women in society demanding more in terms of equal pay. You know, the women's soccer team, there was just a legislation passed two days ago. So December 22nd, 2022, the United States passed a law called the Equal Pay uh, Equal Pay for Team USA Act. And it's for any international teams playing on behalf of the USA have to have equal pay uh, regardless of gender. And so um, the USA FIFA World Cup men's team, I was really rooting for him because there was actually a settlement where part of their earnings and their winnings of each game was actually going to be shared with the women's soccer team, which by the way, has won several World Cups the last few times. Less, <laughs> this is not me not knowing about women's health. This is me not knowing about soccer. <laughs> but uh, our soccer team apparently is amazing in the United States. And so, um, uh, yeah, equal pay. Because how does this even affect women's health? Well, 
because the more women we see in STEM, science, technology, engineering, medicine, the more solutions we see. So one example of this is we actually just had this episode with uh, Saki about Japan, you know, in the United States, 46% of STEM professionals are females. And so therefore we see this, you know, 500 of the 1500 femtech companies in the world are in the United States. And I believe heavily that has to do with uh, women being in STEM, being capable of understanding biology, engineering, medicine, and creating solutions are on our own. In Japan, less than 10% of women, I think it's closer to about 6%, or maybe it was 13. I think it's 13% actually of women in STEM uh, or people in STEM in Japan are women. So um, and as a, as a consequence, we see very few solutions coming out of that environment. Um, moreover, the equal pay part also comes into, uh, we need female investors. So the more female investors you have, specifically angels, the more solutions you'll get to market because at that angel very early round, you need believers in, Believers who, you know, they don't need to see this, you know, product. They, you may not even know what the product's going to be, but you have believers who know the problem exists and a solution needs to be made. Um, and so the more female angels we have, meaning they have enough money to even be accredited investors, the more femtech solutions we're going to have. So all of that is, uh, you know, just momentum, momentum, momentum for us. There's been increased interest in women's health from venture funds and not just femtech funds. We are going to talk about femtech funds in a little bit, but I'm talking about other funds that have invested in lots of stuff. Octopus Ventures, Calm Storm, NEA, Fusion Fund, Scrum Ventures. All of these funds are well-known, established, investing in lots of different things, digital health, health tech, you know, software, digital health. Now, all of them are starting to say, hey, we actually have a, a specific women's health investment thesis as well. They have allocated money of the pot of money specifically for women's health. So that is a, a new thing. Unfortunately, what I see is that the intentions there are really good, but we're still not crossing the finish line. I would say that women's health companies are still reaching the, um, they're being considered now finally, they're being prioritized. But at the end of the day, when it's between this women's health company and another company that is, you know, uh, gender agnostic or sex agnostic, I often see that that one is the one that wins. Now, I'm not entirely sure <laughs> what is the reason. And I'm sure that, you know, we'd have to survey maybe a hundred hundred funds that had a femtech deal in the final, you know, decision making and find out what was that thing that was the reason they didn't get, you know, over that last hurdle to get the check. But something tells me it's, um, you know, invest, investing, especially in 2022, had to be a sure thing. And, you know, women's health, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's not a lot of sure things in women's health. So much of what we do is research and development. So much of what we do is figuring out the market because no one's ever done it before. And so when you're in a uh, financial environment of economic uncertainty, which I believe the world has been in this year, at the end of the day, sometimes you prioritize the deals that are a little bit more of a sure bet, you know, something in, you know, brain health or uh, heart health for both genders. And so you have like predecessor devices, you have established market research, you have, you know, biology that's been, you know, proven. When you go into women's health, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, we need this funding because we need to figure out what the hell is happening in the ovary because no one's ever looked, right? Huge potential, very important, not a sure thing. So, 
That's my hypothesis. We'll have to find out. All right. Femtech specific service providers have started to show up. Designers, copywriters, UX designers, uh, consultants like Femtech Now is a Charlotte is a good friend of mine. She is lives in Paris and she is a French Femtech consultant helping companies around the world enter the EU market with their devices. So we're starting to see these um, service providers specifically becoming experts in women's health. We're seeing government influence on femtech. So I already talked about this a little bit with the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, I'll double tap into that a little bit, bring up one more topic, which is uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. (laughs) The overturning of Roe v. Wade has led to very, very interesting, complex, intense (laughs) debates about data privacy. So if you have a digital health app on your phone, you have your name and you have your birthday, potentially you have your location settings on, and let's say you're tracking your period, and all of a sudden, your period, you stop tracking it for two months or so, and then your location data shows that you went to a specific geolo spot that is actually also the same location as an abortion clinic. Technically, there are places in the United States now where police, if given information about, I believe this female got pregnant and got an abortion, they could subpoena, meaning legally request the data from your phone and potentially charge you with a federal murder charge for murdering a fetus. This, it sounds like it's crazy like not possible, but it literally is possible. And so we need to have really intense and specific, critical, you know, (laughs) detailed debates about data privacy, because as we have femtech founders wanting to, you know, do right by women, not necessarily to do right by their business and business model. They don't, I really don't find femtech founders wanting to sell data. I I almost am. I don't think I've ever met honest to God, a femtech founder that said, that's our business model, sell data, de-identify data. We're going to sell it. I've honestly never met anyone who said that. They really, if they do sell it, it's de-identified and it's specifically for research. And oftentimes it requires the woman's opt-in. Yes, you can use my data for research because it's very important to figure out why I have endometriosis or whatever. And so um, there's this really gentle balance we need to figure out between how do we have women empowered by having them, you know, have the data of their life and their bodies without it being criminalized? So that's a really important debate we have to figure out. Another influence on government, on uh, influence that government has on women's health is, for example, Japan is very interested in femtech. Now, I just told you Japan has very few solutions that are coming out of their country. Why are they so interested in women's health? Well, Japan actually doesn't accept immigrants from around the world. And so the jobs that they have in Japan are filled by Japanese people. And so if you have a population that is, you know, essentially an upside down <laughs> uh, pyramid, all of a sudden, if a company has 100 positions and, you know, 50 people retire eventually, but there's only, you know, 20 people or 30 people to fill those 50 positions, it's just not going to work. The math isn't there. And so there's a very low birth rate in Japan. 
They don't accept immigrants. They have very low birth rate. They have a work is a priority culture. They have a hard, hard working culture where people work 12 hour days. And so if you try to think about a woman going through fertility treatment, getting pregnant, having a baby, having two babies, how is she and her partner going to work the Japanese cultured, you know, 12 hour day work week? Um, it's just, it's really hard. And so what has resulted is a very low birth rate. But this is such an amazing opportunity for femtech because the government now has all of this funding and all of this purpose and all of this, you know, drive, this motivation to make people want to get together, feel horny, have sex, get pregnant, have the baby, be happy they have the baby, love having a baby. In fact, they want more babies, right? Women's health can help them do that. So these are some really unique opportunities I start to see around the world. Another one is Emmanuel Macron, which is the president of France. He did a um, article in the French newspaper about endometriosis and how it's so important and how they're going to dedicate uh, uh, certain millions of money to research endometriosis. All of a sudden now, what do we see in France? We see Charlotte with uh, Femtech Now, who, you know, Femtech-specific uh, French consultant. We see Station F launching an incubator for Femtech companies. We see Femtech France, which is a, a, an incubator program for scientists who want to start Femtech companies. Whoa. I mean, potentially just coincidental, Right. But I think that we can start to see there are trends when the president goes on record saying this is important. And then we see groups and money and sponsorships and grants happening. To me, that it's a direct reflection. So governments are affecting women's health. Last thing I want to talk about in terms of this big, the biggest shifts I've seen this last year is terminology. Um, we've, we've talked on the show before you're a femme fan. You probably already know this gender and sex are different things. <laughs> gender and sex are different things. I just had to say one more time. And the more that we realize that and more that we tell the world that gender and sex are different things, the more gender and sex will be considered in the way that we talk, in the way that we research, in the way that we innovate, because if we ask, you know, a, ourselves in a little Petri dish that we're researching, what's your gender? We may say, cells don't have a gender. And then we won't think about it anymore. But if we asked, what is the sex of the cells in this Petri dish? And we said they are male cells. They are all XY chromosome containing cells. Then we may have the thought, huh, well, if my, you know, drug that is uh, affecting mitochondria isn't working in this cell, maybe they'll work in female cells with XX chromosomes, right? And so literally just knowing the difference in those words will start to spark different ways we look at things, different ways to see things. So I think this terminology is so big. And that actually kind of brings me to the femtech, fem health, fem care. So, you know, femtech technically is Tech is tech, right? Is technology. But what is, you know, where do we put therapeutic drugs then? Where, where does that come into play? What do we, what do we do with like breast, uh, oil? You know, that is encouraging women to do at home breast exams. Is that technology? I don't think so. It's really not. It's really not. And as we try to quantify this industry, which we did in last year's report, we quantified it to be a $1.2 trillion market. There was actually um, 
something interesting that came out of that publication, which is people said that that number was actually too big. People did not believe the founder when they said, I'm innovating in a $1.2 trillion market. People said, what? How would I, how could I have never heard of this such a big market before? And what is even in that market? What do you mean? And so, you know, it actually got me to think we need to, we need to segment and break down, create a hierarchy, create some more, um, you know, buckets essentially in this industry. And then we can have better valuations of each market one. Moreover, we can start to really say, Hey, I'm interested in business models that are B2B or B2C. You know, I'm interested in, you know, if you want to join an accelerator and they're saying, Oh, we accept all the companies. You should be worried because if you have a, a drug company, med device, tampon, lotion, and an app company in your cohort, and you're all getting the same advice, don't go to that program anymore. <laughs> they all need very different advice as companies. I know I'm a startup founder. I've started several companies and I've mentored, I've invested. These companies are very different, but if we just call them all women's health, well, they all qualify, right? And so what I think the future of femtech is, is the terminology breaking it down where we're going to start to say things like, this is a women's health program specifically for healthcare products. Healthcare products could include therapeutics, medical devices, and diagnostics. Medical, medical devices and diagnostics used by physicians in the clinic. And then we'll have women's health wellness, which could include consumer product goods, at-home diagnostics. A pregnancy test is technically diagnostic, right? At-home medical device. So tampon is technically a medical device, right? But do you see how I'm starting to break it down, right? So we have women's health and then you, well, female health, excuse me. I really, I need to even start to say that female health. And then you have healthcare setting and you have the wellness setting. And even in healthcare, you have the clinic-based products and then you have the at-home direct-to-patient products. So I think um, we don't have it all figured out yet, but this is where I think we're going. So anticipate this. And now a quick word from our sponsors. If you're looking to give superpowers to your care team and scale your operations while delivering the best digital clinic experience, then listen up. Today, I want to introduce you to Nabla, a company I've known for over a year now that's building an impressive AI assistant for healthcare professionals. It's allowing them to spend less time on administrative tasks and more time caring for their patients. Nabla does this by providing messaging, video consultation, and scheduling modules augmented with AI capabilities that automate tasks like consultation note-taking, patient record updating, triaging, and asynchronous follow-ups. On average, it cuts the time spent by physicians on filling out clinical notes by half. And who wouldn't want that? It's used by digital clinics all over the world, including multiple femtech companies. Whether you're a newly launched digital clinic or an established one, Nabla offers full-stack communication solutions as well as bespoke integration with existing tech infrastructures. If you want to see what it looks like, make sure to try Nabla for free by signing up at www.nabla.com. That's Nabla, N-A-B-L-A.com. It's digital care, superpowered. And now back to the interview. Last year, I predicted these things, and I'm going to walk through them and tell you whether or not they came true. And if they did, where in the world that happened and how so and blah, blah, blah. So 
first thing I predicted last year was that there is danger in everyone getting excited about femtech. Um, people are going to start to include things like beauty and skincare. People are going to start to say uh, that their solution is the first and only one of its kind. Um, people are going to start to say, I'm the leader of this and that they can just copy and paste their other healthcare strategies into women's health and think that they're going to be successful. And sure enough, we saw this happen a little bit this year. There was a few players and I will say one of them has in fact sent me a cease and desist letter based on my posts that I've made on LinkedIn. That's okay. That happens. Listen, y'all, if you get a letter from a lawyer, you're making waves in life. All right. So don't be scared if a lawyer calls you up and, uh, you know, tells you you're threading, you know, threading a needle. It's, that's okay. So I'm not going to name names, but what I'm going to say here is that this year there were some big companies that showed up and said, hey, we're going to run this thing. And they were in over their heads. And it has unfortunately caused a lot of consequences for end users, for women. It's caused a lot of consequences for companies that were, you know, involved in this other company's business. So, um, you know, this is one of those dangers I said about people just getting excited and wanting to jump in without really taking their time to learn about the limitations and opportunities of women's health. Um, if you are interested in women's health, maybe it's the first episode you're listening to, my biggest advice for you is that women's health is not just healthcare. And if you don't want to mess it up, you don't want to waste your money, you want to do it right, you should get a femtech expert in your life to help you. The next thing I predicted was uh, um, some changes in media and censorship. So I brought up last year the Dame Products lawsuit against the New York City Metro subway and that Facebook was under a lot of scrutiny um, about their censorship. Facebook did, in fact, release some new policies. I don't think enough time has passed for us to really feel it out in terms of uh, are their new policies really working for women's health or not? Stay tuned. I'll tell you more about that next year. But um, I do think we had some momentum this year. And I do want to call out uh, Center for Intimacy Justice. They have done the really hard work behind this. Also, Origin is a pelvic floor health company. They've also been really involved, which is incredible. So, um, yeah. Uh, hopefully times are changing. Hopefully we can start to have real red liquid in our, you know, pad commercials. We can start to say vulva, sexual wellness. Hopefully these things will start to happen. Next thing I predicted was the increase of innovation for women's health using CBD, THC, and psychedelics. Although I did not see an increase really in THC or psychedelics, we definitely saw an increase in CBD. So there are several companies in Canada that are now using C CBD um, for women's health. So AMA is one of them. Another one is a woman by Antoinette. Uh, is the founder of her company. It's incredible. We also have um, uh, Day, D-A-Y-E, out of Europe, actually, but they have CBD-infused tampons. So a lot of interesting stuff happening in CBD. So I am interested in staying tuned to that, and so should all of you. Uh, the next thing I predicted was a uh, more attention on abortion, and specifically I highlighted a company named Hey Jane. And sure enough, Hey Jane this year got a ton of publicity. They were in a lot of mainstream media. Uh, hey Jane is a telehealth company that uh, essentially provides at-home 
abortion medication via telehealth. And it's active right now in the United States in a few states uh, where they're able to operate. But they just closed a multi-million dollar funding round, which is essentially unheard of for abortion. Uh, I, I don't know of any other companies, honestly, that are doing, literally doing abortion and getting funding. So that is just absolutely monumental for us and our movement. Honestly, the overturning of the Dobbs decision um, or the Dobbs decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has been horrible in so many ways. And yet there's a few little bright spots like, hey, Jane, getting funding. Hey, Jane, getting exposure. Um, I know that uh, RIA Ventures, they invest in reproductive health. They fundraised a huge like $30 million venture fund this year. And most of that money was raised, I've, I heard, right after that Dobbs decision. A lot of people said, oh, my God, this is unacceptable. And they put their money down into a fund that invests in reproductive health. So not a good thing politically for us or, you know, healthcare wise, but uh, really amazing in terms of investments. If any of you want to see my adorable dog, Q, he is eating a bone behind me and playing with it. And it's just the cutest thing. So check this video out on YouTube. All right, let's keep going. Uh, last year, I also predicted early acquisitions between startups. So um, essentially, we have a huge base of very early stage companies. And we have very few acquires, potential acquires at the top, mostly because historically, women's health hasn't been worked on. So we don't have these like big established players to do all the acquisitions. In fact, the few that there are actually being stopped by the, you know, US <laughs> Trade Commission saying you're turning into a monopoly, you can't own all these assets. And so we're what we've predicted is um, what I'm calling horizontal acquisition. So essentially, uh, companies that are actually not too different from each other in terms of their progress or funding rounds, maybe one or two rounds of difference. So uh, maybe two to three years difference in maturity of companies, one acquiring the other. And so we saw this today, um, this year, <laughs> today. We, I don't know if any, <laughs> any, uh, acquisitions happened on Christmas today. Doubt it. But, um, half of the 16 exits we saw in 2022 were just this, were a midstream company acquiring an early stage company. So really cool to see that happen. Uh, more well-established players are getting involved into femtech, uh, like major accelerators are launching femtech-specific cohorts. So uh, Matter Health is a big uh, healthcare incubator up in Chicago. They just launched um, 51 Labs, which is a femtech-specific accelerator. We also have Fem Health Founders out of Arkansas, Oklahoma City, Arkansas, with the partnership with Stitch Fit. Um, Stitch Crew, excuse me, Stitch Crew. They are like a Stitch Crew is like a accelerator in a box type of thing. And so um, these major like programs are now launching femtech specific programs. Predicted more conferences. Sure enough, we see uh Fem Technology Summit happened. We had another Tel Aviv conference this year. We've seen one of the biggest expansions is in the Kiasco Research Conference. So um Kiasco Research is a conference production company. They are the ones behind the Women's Health Innovation Summit, WHIS, if you may have seen that acronym around. Their uh, main event is in September in Boston. And this year, they dabbled in a few additional conferences, and they announced that next year they're hosting six, so one every other month. And they are launching one in Asia 
in Europe. So big expansion there. So more conferences, check, happened, happening. Um, next prediction was Femtech Solutions uh, are being used. I, I predicted that Femtech Solutions even more so would be used to recruit and retain female employees. Boy, is that truer than ever. Like, I remember thinking, wow, that's such a unique business model we have, you know, selling to employers for female employees to benefit from these products. It's almost as if you're in women's health and not considering an HR strategy, you're missing part of the market. Um, This has become so, so prevalent in business models in women's health because, you know, uh, I'm a millennial, you know, I'm 31. People are not staying at the same job their whole life. They need to be convinced like that you actually care about them and their well-being, their mental health. Gen Z is even more so like this. And so where I think this is just going to continue, continue, continue to be the case until hopefully one day the United States figures out that health insurance shouldn't be hooked up with your job and we should just have, you know, universal health care. But Oh, that prayer will be prayed for a long more time. Um, until then, femtech companies are uh, very heavily selling to employers in order for them to attract and retain female employees. We predicted exits. Well, sure enough, this year we had 16 exits. Very excited about that. Last year we had 15. So we are on the rise. Uh, last but not least last year, this one's kind of say a little sad, but it is what it is. When an industry grows, you will get copycats. So we saw awkward essentials dripstick get copied twice. Um, luckily, if you have deep loyalty within your community, like awkward essentials does, they will troll the heck out of your copier. And so, um, that is, uh, something really cool about our industry is that we, we're not down with people, you know, trying to use, abuse, monetize our bodies anymore. Like we really stand up for female founders that are making products for us, considering our, our, best interest and we'll stand by them. And so referrals are a huge thing in women's health, either to make you or break you in terms of good sales or bad sales. So we saw the dripstick get copied. We saw my uh, vaginal microbiome sequencing get copied a few times up in there. We saw Caraway Health. This one is kind of sad. So um, they are a uh, essentially virtual telehealth for women, specifically in uh, their early 20s that are in college. And there are already two companies doing this, Betty Co., in between health, if not more so, but those are the two I know off right offhand. And they pitched to a few VCs who told them their, their companies, their idea, their business models, their traction was crap, not good, not never going to make it. And then these VCs got together and super funded a company, recruited a founder, an ex-exited founder from one of their portfolio companies to run it as a CEO. This is Caraway Health. Now, um, I saw the founder speak of Caraway Health at a, a conference. She seems lovely. I don't know if she knows the whole situation, but you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that unfortunately think is going to happen. And we just need to be able to call it out when it does. Um, so that people know, like they won't just be able to get away with this without any, you know, shade being thrown at them. We're going to throw shade because women of color have been leading the groundwork for this for so long. And we will not allow people to build on our backs. They will, (laughs) they need to just fund us and build with us, not on our backs. So 
that was another situation. Last but not least was a, um, uh, this company called 28, which was so weird. It was a fitness app fundraise $3 million. This fitness app helps women, you know, work out based on their menstrual cycle. And I thought, huh, how is this company 28 different from wild AI or my normative or, you know, all these other companies I know of that are doing just this. And I went to the website and it was all of these white, it was all white women that were less than a hundred pounds, super, super, super skinny model women in little baby bikinis on a beach with weights working out on a beach. And the website said, don't let your period stop you work out like in, you know, partnership with your period. And I, um, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Be- and it really honestly brought to light to me to what femtech or fem health really is, which is accessible, diverse, realistic, grounded, authentic. This is what women want today. We don't want to be lied to that we could look like a 90 pound model on a beach want our period while bleeding, lifting weights or jogging in a bikini because we have an app that helps us like do that. What? Like, no, no, no. That is not how women's health is branded, is marketed, is communicated. Like if you do not have diversity on your website and your branding, like you will fail. You need women of color. You need disabled women. You need women of different ages. You need women of different lifestyles, of religions, of cultures, Moreover, you need to be realistic. When you're selling to women today, you can't sell this like 90s fantasy of like, don't you want to be skinny like Rachel from Friends and, you know, be rich and run on a beach? So anyways, that uh, we'll see what happens with that company. But um, that was another alarming thing that I was like, whoa, this is, you know, the danger of femtech going mainstream is people jumping on board and assuming what they think women want. That's not what we want, at least the majority of women, maybe some, but not most. All right, y'all. Next thing I want to talk about is uh, the biggest influencers in femtech in 2022. Now, this is by no means an extensive or exhausted list. This is just a handful of people that came to my mind while preparing for this that I said, you know what? They really made an impression on me. They really made a big move this year. So a few of those people are... The first one is uh, was also mentioned last year, and that's Dr. Lindsay Harper, the founder of Rosie. Um, I think that she's a big influencer because she's really cracking the code on sexual um, arousal in women through her digital health app. And uh, I would just encourage you to go to her site. Uh, I think it's meetrosie.com and check out what I'm talking about. But she's really cracking this code and revealing that erotica could be a huge solution to female sexual dysfunction. So I'm really, I'm just so excited to see her um, not only be a strong businesswoman, but be a researcher and um, uh, be curious. You know, she's building a business based on what she knows, but I love that she also is saying, oh my gosh, here's what we're learning and here's how that, you know, affects women. And here's how we should all be addressing this problem based on the data that we're producing. So I love that, Lindsay, you're awesome. Next, we have uh, Milena Perianis, who is a good friend of mine. She just launched Her Share, which is the first female angel network 
specifically investing in women's health. Uh, interviewed her a few weeks ago, so listen to that episode. Uh, another recent interviewee was Saki Oshima. She is the Femtech Partnership Leader at Scrum Ventures and the co-founder of uh, the Association of Femtech in Asia. She's incredible, absolutely a leader at bringing together multiple cultures and worlds in women's health. Uh, Jessica Carr, founder of and general partner Coyote Ventures. She is my business partner. So I'm also co-founder of Coyote, but, um, you know, you may be listening to this being like, are you still involved? What the heck is happening there? Well, just a side note, y'all. I realized that investing was actually not my happy place. My happy place is helping founders. My happy place is being a founder. And so working with Jessica was incredible. We raised our first, you know, a good chunk of the fund. And I just, I wasn't feeling like I was thriving. And so uh, I'm now an advisor to Coyote Ventures and I am happy, very, very happy. And in the meantime, Jessica has closed huge investments from people like Bank of America, incredible, uh, we have a really strong portfolio, and I'm so excited to see, um, you know, all the amazing investments she makes. But I have to put her on here because she's really leading the way in terms of um, VC standing up for reproductive rights after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, closing major banks that have never participated in things like women's health before. So go, Jessica. You're awesome. Amy Beckley. She is or it's actually Dr. Amy Beckley. She is a scientist specializing in hormones and fertility and reproductive health. I have literally never met anyone who <laughs> besides me maybe in terms of like randomly dropping fun facts about women's health, but hers are all about hormones. She is the master of hormones in my mind. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Prove, P-R-O-O-V, incredible company. It's going to be a game changer, truly. Um, if you're, if you have money in that company, like, hell yeah, you're going to do great. Um, jealous. <laughs> so Amy Beckley, amazing. Next is Dr. Sophia Yen, founder, CEO of Pandia Health. She has been on such a, educational stampede this year in terms of teaching people about what plan B is. Is it a contraception? Is it abortion? It's contraception, y'all. Plan B essentially is stops the egg from being released from your ovary. So if you take plan B, but your egg's already been released, it doesn't do anything. So she's been speaking on every microphone. I can see her everywhere. She has this awesome uh, purse. It's like a condom purse and she brings it everywhere. And she's just a lot of energy, a lot of fun. If you haven't heard her speak, like just Google Sophia Yen. Um, she's awesome. So I, I really think she's had a big impact this year on our community and in women's health in general. Let's see here. Who's next? Bryony Cole, founder of Sex Tech School. She has just absolutely made huge waves in the sexual wellness space. She launched the first, to my knowledge, sex tech, a virtual accelerator. So it's helping people either with ideas or who are interested in innovating in women's health, specifically sex tech, sexual health. And, um, excuse me, just <laughs> she's making huge, huge, huge waves by accelerating these companies, teaching them the basics that they need to know, the intricacies of being a sex tech founder. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of successful companies that come out of her program. So I'm really proud of her. Briny is awesome. 
Next is Carly Sapir. So she is the uh, general partner and founder of Amboy Street Ventures, making lots of investments in sex tech, sexual wellness. Really, she's doing a lot of writing too, which I love. If you're not subscribed to the Amboy Street newsletter, you should, because Carly does a really great job of writing up about why she invested in a company, what's happening, you know, new legislation around censorship or uh, in marketing terms or just just really, really amazing thought leadership in terms of sex tech. Next, I have Glenice Moore, the founder of Schemu Tech. This is uh, an episode, again, we did this year actually earlier, which is a... Um, It's essentially a robotic penis, which really makes you think about what is women's health, why, how, and why would a robotic penis be part of that? And I think it really opens up the discussion of female, women, men, male, lesbian, homosexuality, heterosexuality, all of these things really start to make you wonder Hey, if I have a vagina, but I am not sexually fulfilled unless I have, you know, an apparatus that I can feel natural with, it just makes you think. And, you know, I think that there might be people on either side of that camp, but at the end of the day, she is a badass black female founder who's gay in Atlanta, Georgia, making moves, winning prizes, doing whatever she wants. And for that, I put her on the list. Uh, Last two influencers for the year. Maria from Steel Sky Ventures. She is so incredible. Again, if you don't know Maria, subscribe to Steel Sky Ventures newsletter. Follow Maria on LinkedIn. She is just this powerhouse black female VC that is changing the game. She is currently the general partner of the largest women's health venture fund. And it's run by a black woman, y'all. I don't know of any other industry that only has six venture funds and the largest one is run by a black woman. Like that's, it's literally the fabric of our industry is different. And I I think that it makes everything about our industry different, how conferences happen, how pitching happens, how investments work, how exits happen, right? Like these exits between startups are uh, to me, a symbol of we're not in this to make the most money in the world right? We're in it to make a little money. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, we are, right? We're in the game. But what we're really in it for is improving women's health. And so selling your company for 50 million in two years versus trying to sell it for half a billion in 10 years, our goal is to not, you know, hold on to these assets until we are the richest people alive. But if we could, we could have a liquidation event, make our investors pretty rich, making us pretty rich, and, you know, selling our product to a, another startup that's maybe two, three years ahead of us, good return, not the biggest, you know, right? But at the end of the day, your product is getting to market faster and improving women's health better and more and faster. Like, that's really what I think drives this industry. So, ah, I just love it. Last but not least is uh, Teresa from Gadia, UX design company out of Austin, Texas. This year, she donated over $500,000 of UX design to femtech companies. Um, she originally came to me earlier this year saying, hey, I'd like to you know, offer three companies some UX services. At the end of the day, I think she picked like 20 companies uh, to do free UX designs for. And I mean, it, we're not talking like 
low quality. We're talking extremely, extremely high quality, like Fortune 100 UX, you know, design firm type of thing, giving femtech startups free design. So Teresa has been a huge part in um, the advancement of our industry this year. All right. Next is uh, conferences. So what happened in conferences this year? We saw the uh, Kiosco Research expansion, right? And we also saw um, uh, interesting development in terms of is Femtech ready for in-person or do we still prefer virtual? And I think this is actually a industry debate we need to have because if you think about who is in our industry, predominantly females, predominantly mothers. And so we are not an industry that's necessarily built for everyone to take a week off here, a week off there, a weekend here, right? Travel around the world, travel around the country, stay in hotels, go to conferences for 12 hours a day, because we're we're the people running the show at home a lot of times. And so I don't actually know if Femtech is really made at the root of it, if we're made for in-person conferences or if virtual first is always going to be our go-to. I don't know. We'll see. Next is investments. Um, I didn't, we didn't see any new major venture funds this year, like I predicted last year, but I think that's likely due to the economic instability. It's really hard to see, uh, you know, the economy right now and say, I'm going to raise $50 million (laughs) because $50 million really isn't sitting around for anyone to fundraise from. So what we did see a new angel network with her share. Again, that's Milena's, uh, new angel network. If you go to hershare.co, you can sign up to be an angel investor or as a founder, Submit your deal for consideration. Uh, some changes in femtech organizations. We saw some new regional pre- regional specific organizations. So, LA Femtech, Femtech Association of Asia, Femtech Israel, Femtech India, Femtech Canada, Femtech France. Wow, right? Like what that tells me is that there's enough activity and specific regions that they can actually get together, meet have events, do programming, have, you know, regional specific conversations. I went to a a recently Femtech Canada virtual event. They have them like every other month. So go to Femtech Canada, subscribe to their newsletter, join their Slack channel. Uh, They recently just had a whole webinar on Canadian grants that Femtech companies could apply for. So I love that we have enough traction now that we can actually not only have these global organizations like Femtech Insider, uh, Femtech Focus, but now we can also have these regional or, you know, segmented specific groups as well. We saw new accelerators. So Impact 51 by Nogafem out of Israel. 51 Labs. Yes, you heard me right. The first one was Impact 51. The second one is 51 Labs. 51 Labs is by Matter Health out of Chicago. Fem Health Founders by Stitch Crew is in Oklahoma City in Arkansas. And Femtech France, which is an incubator for scientists and doctors who want to start companies to learn how to, how to do that. Um, I We'll bring this up at the end again, but I think um, location of programs is going to be really important as we move forward in this new political environment, especially in the United States. You know, uh, United States is made out of uh, 50 states and several territories, and each of those states and territories now will be able to make up their own rules about whether or not women are, are females allowed to have access to abortion. Um 
you know, Femme Health Founders is in Arkansas, where abortion is, if not already removed, on its way. It's a very red conservative state. And so unless a miracle happens, that is not an area, a state, a region where we'll be able to run clinical trials on maternity, you know, like whenever there's the risk for potential lawsuit or like murder charges, we're going to see a limitation in the number of companies wanting to do work there. Um, I know a lot of femtech companies that are in Texas, Tennessee, you know, Oklahoma, and they're moving out and they're moving to states where they can continue to run their business, continue to do their studies, clinical trials that they need to get done. So that's my one word about the, the Oklahoma city in Arkansas program, because um, they're limited, I believe uh, in any program in states where abortion is limited, they're going to be limited in the number in which companies they can accept to their program. And which companies want to go to their program. All right. Next up is exits. Uh, we're almost done, give or take. <laughs> this is always the longest episode of the year. So if you've listened before, you already knew what you were in for. All right. Exits. Exits in 2021. So last year was 15. This year we have 16. Of those 16, 15 were acquisitions. One was an IPO. Um, 124 total femtech exits since 1990 we have on our record. Um, so of the 16 exits this year, there was seven infertility, three menstrual health, two contraception, one maternal health, one general health, one pelvic floor health, and one menopause. By the way, all of this is broken down, quantified, visualized in our landscape report. Um, be sure again, subscribe, femtechfocus.org get our landscape report and be able to see all of these awesome statistics. Uh, the one initial public offering or IPO was a, call, a company called Pulse and More, which is a maternal health medical device developed in Israel. Something interesting that happened this year was that three of the 16 exits were apparel companies. So NYX, Modibody, and Thinks, these are all the first textile-based exits in women's health that we have on record. Um, they are all absorbent underwear for women. So very interesting to see what the future of textile-based companies is going to be for us since those were huge exits this year. Five of the 15 acquisitions were Femtech uh startups that were acquiring other femtech startups. So we had Hertility, Kind Body, Origin, and Simple Health, all building out their product offerings and services through acquisitions of other early staged assets. So that was really cool to see. I think we're going to continue to see more of that. Uh, we we're anticipating that trend to continue because women's health is complex and it takes so much time and so much investment to create a single solution to a single symptom or to a subset of female demographics like black women, Latina women, Muslim women, you know, Native American women. Uh, so acquisitions, in my mind, are way, way better, easier, cheaper option for companies to quickly expand their offerings without having to internally develop them from scratch. All right. So that's a little tidbit on exits. Next is uh, startups that I saw shined in this year in 2022. Uh, 28 Health with uh, founder Amy Fan. Uh, she is an incredible woman. 28 Health is a birth control telehealth service. They also have 
herpes treatment, um, but they also have plan B. And so they've been doing a lot of telehealth for plan B, again, which is a contraception, not abortion pill. Um, Really important work, though, to provide access to this type of um, really important healthcare. Day, D-A-Y-E, I love this company, by Valentina, the founder. She is uh, made these CBD-infused tampons, and I'm, you know, I'm about to tell you that I also put her on my startups to watch for next year, for 2023, because they just released um, their plans and some prototypes for a uh, tampon as a diagnostic. So, you know, technically every month women are giving a blood sample who, you know, women, females that are menstruating, uh, actively menstruating are, you know, in that menstrual effluent, you have tissue, you have blood, like, we could potentially diagnose disease from that or at least have a health status update. And so Day is getting into that market and I'm really excited to see what they do. So they shine this year. I also anticipate them being a startup to watch for next year. Another startup that shined this year was Ant Flow with Claire Coder, the founder. Uh, I did predict uh, last year that they would be a star this year, and they did. Ant Flow provides free menstrual products in restrooms around the United States. And it's not just some nonprofit that's like free. It's a business where, you know, schools, governments, uh, you know, municipal buildings, like, just any organization that has a toilet, especially a toilet that women or females use, how do you pay for free menstrual products there? And she has proven out a very strong business model that if businesses provide free menstrual products to their students, to their employees, to their visitors, their business, their school, their communities do much, much better, um, much better than the, you know, the, the returns are so much more than what they invested in these free menstrual products. So really incredible to see her work. If you're not following Claire Coder on LinkedIn, she's a really fun one to, uh, to follow. Uh, hey Jane is my also startup to shine this year. Uh, I predicted last year that they would shine this year, and sure enough, they have come through. This is that telehealth abortion pill. So this really is abortion pill, uh, telehealth company, and they have really stepped up and ro- rose to the occasion this year when we needed them the most. And I can I, I anticipate them to continue to be rock stars. Uh, startups to watch for twenty twenty three. Um, post-abortion aftercare programs like Vitala Global or We Seek Care. So I think that as we are debating abortion, which shouldn't even be a debate, but you know what I mean, um, we're going to start to also ask ourselves, what are the other things that we need to consider when supporting the right to abortion? Access to it, education as to what it is, the actual procedure itself. How can we make it better? How can we make it faster, recover faster, more, you know, um, less shame, less pain during it? Also, aftercare, you know, I, I've been very open on this podcast multiple times that I've had an abortion. There was no aftercare. They sent me home with a piece of paper that said, Hey, like, if you lose this much blood, then come back. But otherwise, like, lay down for a few days. You're going to be very uncomfortable. You have the heaviest period you've ever had in your life. And, uh, you know, hopefully emotionally you're being supported, right? 
So there's, there's just no aftercare, both medically, but also emotionally, spiritually, nothing, absolutely nothing. And so I think post-abortion aftercare programs is going to be a thing that we're going to start to see more of. And two companies already working on this is Vitala Global out of Canada, and We Seek Care out of the UK. Um, startups to watch for next year, like I said, is Day, menstrual effluent-based diagnostics. Um, Meet Rosie. Uh, I talked about Lindsay Harper earlier, but the data that she's putting out on what improves sexual wellness for women, specifically her findings around erotica and how that is like, it's it's almost like medically, pr- she's proving that that actually might be the answer to women's sexual dysfunction. That's absolutely incredible. I can't wait to see more of the things that she publishes and comes out with. Another startup to watch is Hera Biotech. Their early clinical trials with a diagnostic for endometriosis were very successful. So really excited to see how their clinical trials go next year. And then uh, last two are Alicia Chong Rodriguez, the founder and CEO of Bloomer Tech. This is a bra that actually can measure your heart health. Um, we have less than four companies <laughs> In women's health focused on female heart health in our, in our database of 1500 companies. Heart disease is the number one killer of women in the United States. How can we only have three companies, three companies working on this? This is insane. And so, um, Alicia has been selling her bras to research facilities for them to do research on their patients. It's how she's kind of been funding this, but she just closed another really big round of investment. So I'm excited to see what she does next year with her product. Last but not least is Milkify. So Milkify is a company out of Houston, Texas, and they freeze dry your breast milk. So people are mailing their milk to Milkify. They freeze dry it through a very sterilized process. And they send you back these little packets with your breast milk on powder form, of which has a shelf life of three years. Shelf life, three years, y'all. All you have to do is add water, shake it up, boom, breast milk, back, ready to go. I think that they're going to be wildly successful. Really love that company. All right. Next up is uh, what areas in femtech have seen the most innovation. So I think this last year we've seen the most innovation in chronic conditions in menopause. So for chronic conditions, we saw um, autoimmune diseases really being teased apart. Um, so not just lumping all of autoimmune together, but really having the different specific diseases and also focusing on the female's experience of that disease. Since most of these uh, disproportionately affect females, we should probably have messaging, treatments, suggestions, you know, m- content that is for the female patient. So we have, uh, um, you know, uh, Hashiona for Hashimoto's. Uh, we have Paloma Health, Mimi, Isla Health. All of these are for autoimmune diseases. We are also seeing chronic pain being addressed specifically for females. So Lynn Health is an awesome uh, digital health pain management uh, digital health company. So chronic conditions, I think, was a major spot of innovation this last year. The other one is menopause. So we saw a lot of telehealth and digital health companies uh, not only started, but growing and expanding this year. We even had uh, an acquisition. Genev was acquired, which is a menopause telehealth company. Other companies in menopause for telehealth, digital health are Midi, Midday, Electra Health, and uh, Korea or Kyra. 
And then we have point solutions directed to specific symptoms of menopause. We have Cali Balance, which is um, a medical device targeting vertigo in uh, menopausal women. While, which is the uh, tinctures and supplements addressing fe- uh, menopause symptoms. Kindra, Thermaband, Ember Labs, Aura Blue, Joy Lux, all of these companies and many more are addressing all, the, well, they're not addressing all, excuse me. They're addressing specific symptoms of menopause. So this is really uh, an area I saw a lot of growth in this year. The areas in which we still need help. Last year, I said abortion, mental health, uh, PTSD, eating disorders, refugee women, and postpartum care. This year, I'm saying abortion still in terms of new methodologies, new experiences, access to it, aftercare. Heart health, again, only three companies working on it. Absolutely a huge killer of women. We need to understand female hearts. Um, and then also I would really love, I think this is an area that could revolutionize so much of what we do for women's health, which is an assay or, you know, a test to see if drugs we take as females are entering our womb and the fetus or breast milk. Currently, there is no test that pharmaceutical companies or any company can do to say, hey, you know, if a, if a woman's taking this drug, it does actually go into the breast milk and it goes into the breast milk at this concentration. So she should not breastfeed on this medication or she shouldn't take this medication if she's breastfeeding. Same with being pregnant, uh, getting pregnant, you know, developing the fetus. We should have a benchtop laboratory assay that is saying, Hey, yes, this drug crosses the blood you know, barrier into the fetus through the placenta. Um, and it's having negative effects or, you know, on developing cells. These are things that would really help us, uh, understand female health. 75% of FDA approved drugs have zero data on pregnant or breastfeeding women. Meaning we literally don't know if those drugs, 75% of them, are going into the breast milk and into the baby or going to affect her unborn child. This results in things like kids having developmental delays and then later the woman finding out was because of the meds she was on, right? Like that's that's really unacceptable and we should prioritize making an experimental assay to figure that out. Other things our industry needs are awards and recognitions. This year, we launched the first in Femtech Award. We give out for a month to people who've uh, significantly contributed to our industry, but we can't be the only ones giving out digital certificates. So I think we need more awards, more recognition, more pitch competitions, more money on the line. And we need government support. We need legislation. We need funding. In the United States, we need an Institute for Women's Health at the NIH so that we can get adequate funding for our research. Um, Yeah, we need government to step up. All right. The last thing I'm going to cover tonight is my predictions for upcoming trends. So first, um, my prediction is a discussion about where in the United States femtech can succeed. We need to have this conversation now because we should be mindful of, you know, let's say we're investing in a company. If they're based in a state in the United States that is, uh, you know, made abortion illegal, if they are a maternal health company doing nothing with abortion, but they are running a, you know, a, a, a clinical trial and a pregnant woman loses her child and, 
you know, there's some suspicion that she may have lost it on purpose or whatever crazy conspiracies these people come up with um, in terms of, you know, the pro-lifers, quote unquote. This could jeopardize that entire company, that entire incubator or accelerator or institute. And so what we're seeing, and we've actually started to see it this year, is that there are, um, you know, tech accelerators in states, in the United States, in fact, I'll just say it in Texas, that, you know, had some femtech companies accepted their program and last minute said, actually, no, you're not accepted. And um, out of potential risk for liability. And so we really need to have this conversation. Where are we going to build institutes for women's health research? Where are we going to, you know, have these hubs for companies? What states are safe for women's health, you know, companies to exist in and thrive? Um, My next prediction, number two, is that um, women's health will never really fold back into healthcare. It's going to be like pediatrics. Like I said, in the beginning of the episode, I'll just say it again. You know, geriatrics or pediatrics, um, you know, they are healthcare, but they understand that this, their patients are different than, you know, a 20 year old patient or 40 year old patient, right? They're either 80 or they're eight. And that requires drug dosages and it requires experimental considerations and policy, you know, considerations. And so I think women's health is going to be something like that, where we do at the end of the day, see it as healthcare, but we also know it has to be teased apart because it is not like the others. The way you treat females in healthcare should not be the way you treat males because we've been doing that forever. And we're seeing the consequences of that women are not as healthy. They're not living as long as, well, let me take that back. (laughs) They are, they are still living longer than men. What I want to say is that men's life expectancy has continued to increase in the United States while women's life expectancy on average has not increased. And so that's, that's the statistic I really want to punch there. Um, Another prediction, I'm so excited for next year's episode to tell you whether or not this one happened. I'm seeing a lot of interest from private equity firms. So we think venture funds are like the people with the money. Wait till you meet private equity. They got buco bucks and they are interested in women's health. So let's see what they do. I haven't seen too much activity just yet. It's just starting, but I'm having a lot of inquiries from private equity firms curious about the market and even having dedicated funds for the market. So excited to see what moves they make next year. Next is uh upcoming trend, remote clinical trials. This is going to be huge. How we get women involved in clinical trials is by making it accessible to her. Um, and so remote clinical trials or virtual clinical trials, I think is going to be a huge wave we see next year. Uh, next is chronic conditions like autoimmune and pain have started to be teased apart into those sex specific, uh, solutions. I predict the same thing is going to start to happen for neurological disorders. So Parkinson's, uh, there's a company called my moves matter. It's the first one I know of only one I know of that is actually allowing females with Parkinson's to track their symptoms, which is, you know, harder than you may think considering the symptoms of Parkinson's, um, to prove to their physicians, which unfortunately I wish this isn't a problem that existed, but it exists so much so that we need a solution to it, that women with Parkinson's have been going to their physician saying, my symptoms get worse with my period or my symptoms get worse through menopause. And um, many physicians say, oh, it's in your head. 
But this uh, app, My Moves Matters, is helping women prove, no, really look at my symptoms. Please, you know, modify my medication or my, you know, my treatment plan accordingly to my hormones. So I think neurological disorders can be teased apart. Parkinson's, epilepsy. So what drugs you take for an epileptic person actually affects which contraception you can be on. It affects what... um if you which drug you should take during pregnancy because you can have anti seizure medication during pregnancy, but it has to be specific ones. Otherwise, it'll cause uh, negative consequences in that fetus and that you know that future child. So epilepsy, Alzheimer's. We're going so deep into like. Uh, research now in terms of Alzheimer's and using sex as a biological factor, finally, and seeing that there are genetic markers and there are uh, pathological, you know, uh, differences between female and male brains and how Alzheimer's is presenting itself and should be treated. And migraines is another neurological disorder that is disproportionately affecting females, is linked to the hormones, is linked to pregnancy, linked to postpartum. We absolutely have to take neurolo- uh, neurology and you and use sex as a lens and start to make sex-specific solutions. Last but not least, I think that we're going to see an uptick in egg freezing next year, not necessarily in the actual act of it. Because I think it's really inaccessible. It's very expensive. Women think that they don't need it until they're in their mid-30s. And then by that point, their eggs aren't really that good anymore. And so then IVF rates are super low in terms of success rate. And so I'm really excited to see you innovators out there come up with ideas in terms of how can we make egg freezing uh, you know, mainstream? How can we make it unstigmatized, affordable, accessible, and um, something we do earlier rather than later? All right, y'all. That is my 2022 end of year podcast episode. It was long per usual, but Oh, look at little Kiwi sleeping back there. <laughs> Put him to sleep. Little bedtime fam tech story. Um, I met so many of you this year. Uh, this year, you know, we really started to meet in person again, travel the world. And uh, I've met a lot of you listeners in different countries and different states. And I'm so inspired by what you're working on. I'm so inspired by your energy, by your passion, by your sacrifices that you've made for this industry that's bigger than you. And that's what motivates me is that people are leading this industry for the right reasons. And um, we all deserve all the good things. And I'm so excited for our future. You know, I started the show three years ago and uh, honestly just thought it'd be fun. And it's been my job (laughs) now for the last three years. And it's been the best job I could ever have. So uh, thank you for listening. Share the show with a friend. Give it a five-star review. Leave a little note review in Apple uh, iTunes saying you love the show. Send me a note. Subscribe to our newsletter, femtechfocus.org. And I will talk to you in 2023. Bye.